See that picture? It says, it says, this is the first picture I was ever tagged in on Facebook 13 years ago. That was my very first hypnosis training. The very first training I ever ran was apparently 13 years ago today. And I will say today feels like an auspicious day. So it feels like some kind of number 13 full circle coming around here. And I like it. It's magic. I, I had a quit smoking client today and I got to use the hypnosis that we're both trained in and that you helped me learn. And that, I don't know, there's just like a delightful, wonderful magic of, Helping someone connect to their own selves and achieve the shit they've, you know, been trying to achieve for a while. Yeah. And being in that weird, quirky family of just like, oh, push these buttons with my words and then magic happens. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good, weird uh, family to be yeah. in. I, I always used to say one of the most important things when you learn the kind of things that you and I know is continually reminding yourself how fucking crazy these things are that how insane they sound and look and feel to normal people because yeah. it's so easy to be like oh hypnosis i know what that is like and it 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 it's easy for it to lose its luster yeah but yeah. you all you have to do is hypnotize someone uh in front of a group of people and tell them that they're reading a newspaper and then have them open their eyes and sit here and read the newspaper and watch the people watching them. They yes. will be like, what the hell is happening? Are you a wizard? And like <laughs> the, the, the intense enraptured feeling that people get, it, it is in a way, it reminds me of theater and and music and mm-hmm. the way that like when somebody pulls out a guitar and starts singing that, you kind of can't be in the same place that you were at before. If you're paying attention to it at all, it puts you into an altered state. So do movies and TV segue. Absolutely. Well, I was going to do it as well. The, the idea that, so we're, we're us. I'm Adrienne Gunn. You are Nicholas Rave. Hi. And I'm starting to feel towards the, the enlightened couch potato. Rather than just enlightened couch potato, how does the that enlightened couch potato show? The enlightened couch potato show—that is where we all are right now. Yes. What is delightful is our entire premise is the idea that the storytelling that happens in these visual mediums of movies and, and TV get to be your own delightful hypnosis to shift and change your own life. If you drop in and and you relax in such a way and you incentivize it by saying, hey, I'm going to let this change my life, it absolutely can. What I fucking delight in, uh, whether you get paid for it or not, first of all, I was introduced to the idea that we don't, the words we choose to use don't describe our reality, they create our reality, and that you can influence yourself and others with the language that you're using, physicality and words and tonality. When I realize that in the instances where I'm helping people make massive changes, you know, things as simple as no longer biting their nails, quitting quitting smoking, smoking. shifting and healing trauma from their past, uh, installing and deleting beliefs, right? 
I know that we are literally being paid to help people play pretend with pictures in their minds. And it's fucking life altering to think that the things that we used to do naturally as children, just make believe and daydream are the tools that you can utilize to completely change your reality. Uh, Two, two thoughts come to mind as you're sharing that. I I just did a podcast earlier, my other podcast, uh, which is more about this hypnosis and NLP stuff. And, uh, uh, my co-host there, Morgan Lane Bennett, was talking about a client that he worked with recently and a process that he went through to help him heal trauma. Mm-hmm. And it was there was this moment where he was like, he had him go back to the experience. And then he's like, what did you want to have happen? Ask your unconscious, what would you like to have happened? And then he could see him like get into this kind of limited space. And he's like, no, no, no. But here's the key. It doesn't have to be possible. And he's like, oh, if it doesn't have to be possible, and then immediately the imagination. So I was talking to him afterwards, and I was like, the the problem is people see things like that, and they think that that uh, that all that this is is like, okay, so you have a phobia of sharks. Well, imagine the sharks with a funny hat on. Does that make it better? No. <laughs> there's yeah. more to it than that. Like, yeah. there's there's precision yes. with which the silliness is discovered. It's a, it's a special silliness. It's the, it's the exact silliness that you need to Mm -hmm. help you through this. And I can't come up with it. So I'm, I just, after that podcast and right before this podcast, I just had a conversation with a, a a new client uh, who signed up for this eight week coaching intensive thing that I'm doing now where one of the one of the parts in it that I was talking to her about one of the weeks is about creating your inner world and I was talking to her about how the idea is once you discover you have an unconscious mind you discover it's not just you and your unconscious in there there's a whole universe in here oh, yeah. and once you open this door the possibilities with which of what you can do are endless and I, I use the example of one day you find yourself in the dark forest swamp wading through until you find the cave where the troll lives and you have to discover the troll's name and you have to sneak into the cave. And when you discover the troll's true name, now you are finally able to let go of all that shame you've been holding on to because it turns out this forest is the forest of shame. Nice. And I used that as an example because that's a, that literally, that is an exact metaphorically, literally, <laughs> that <laughs> is literally a metaphor <laughs> that I took someone through yeah. just a few weeks ago. And like you can talk about shame till you're blue in the face, mm-hmm. but it's these imaginary stories that have the ability to, shift things when you know how to do it and it 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 makes me think of like a tagline for enlightened cat the enlightened cat potato show to me is movies can be more than entertainment yes It, it can be more than just something you it can be more than escapism 
And I would always, I would argue they always are more than that, but you're not paying attention to it. So if you pay attention to how they're changing you, you can turn it up and you can suck more value and more life and more transformation out of the things you know you're going to watch anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was talking to, uh, so I've been running a mastermind and one of the people in there was just like, man, there's so many things I want to do to improve my business. And I just keep finding that I'm watching television. That's I just keep being drawn to watching television. And I was like, good. Yes. Good. Now that you're on the right path, here is how you can watch your television to achieve the things that you want in your business. Yes. Like, you think I'm fucking around with you right now, but I'm telling you that you're wanting to watch television and the things that you're drawn to actually are going to have the keys that you've been looking for and struggling for in your business. Just go ahead now and tell your unconscious mind to show you everything you need to know in what you're watching. The <laughs> people will often say, Oh my God, I was so tired yesterday or I was procrastinating all day yesterday. I didn't do anything. And then you're like, what did you do? Like you did, what, what did you literally do? Oh, I just watched TV all day. So watching TV equals doing nothing for people. Yeah. But like what you're saying, like what you said about now that you're on the right path, <laughs> like there's something, one of the things I love so much about this is it's, the, the the presupposition, the deep presupposition here is the thing in you that wants to watch what it is that you want to watch is wise. Yes. It is trustworthy. And you would be wise to trust it more. Yeah. And if you're not getting what you need from it, it means that you could be watching it better. And oh, yeah. There's watching movies and then there's watching movies. Wow. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. We last week didn't have an episode. We chatted with each other. It was fun. And you and I made an agreement that we were going to chat about two things we've been watching. Yes. I will. For for full disclosure, I didn't finish one of them. So we can't quite talk about the end of Cobra Kai um, because I wasn't able to finish it. Yeah. Well, how about we do... How about we do that? We Well, do you want to wait on it? Do you want to wait on it? Because I like doing the non-spoiler version of things for some uh, people and then drop in. I could, we could easily talk about the first season uh, or we can wait or we could do the non-spoiler. I feel like the non-spoiler version is harder for people who haven't seen it. If you've seen it, and we're talking about it vaguely, you know what we're talking about. But if you haven't seen it and we're talking about it super vaguely, it's like, well, I, I don't know if people are able to follow that as well. Sure. Well, I know that we can. Let's just talk about the boys. Let's do it. <laughs> so uh, oftentimes when there's a break between seasons, I will rewatch the, the previous season or seasons yeah. before jumping in. I did not actually do that. Oh. with jumping into the boys this time i considered it and then much. <laughs> yeah so i considered it and my body was like <laughs> so the boys the synopsis uh my version maybe versus your version the the boys is there are fuck tons of superheroes and they may not be as good as you think 
that's my synopsis. What's your what's your like quick? What is the show, The Boys? Oh boy, <laughs> the synopsis of the show is yeah, superheroes in the real world, quote unquote. I mean, it, it, it. I do actually think the show is quite realistic in a lot of sense, and and the way that it plays with celebrity and consumerism and corporatism and how that would inevitably work its way into the uh if superheroes were real, how that would work. And and even the political stuff about like superheroes in the military or not. And sure. um, that, uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the other thing I will say is that it is a show that I am, I'm more convinced than ever of any show ever that at some point in the writer's room, they said there was a conversation that said in every single episode, we have to have, at least one thing that makes the audience go. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> and um, boy, they succeed at that in they most die. episodes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I remember <laughs> that was my impression of like Jessica Jones. When I was watching Jessica Jones for the first yeah. time, I would watch with like eyeballs and like fingers on ears and then some fingers for like, <laughs> Like sometimes I can't watch or sometimes I can't listen to what's yeah. happening. <laughs> and this show finds a way if you like to not because like we've watched a fuck ton of television. We can anticipate if we're in a state where we're allowing ourselves to anticipate what's happening next. We're just like, oh, we know so it's fun to sometimes not fucking know yeah. what the heck is happening yeah. next. And they're really good at that. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I think there was some things, that, especially in the second season that I feel were telegraphed pretty mm -hmm. obviously, but I don't mind because I'm still enjoying the hell out of the journey. And uh, to yeah. me, the, the things that I don't expect are when, how far they'll take it. Like there's certain moments where you're like, no, what fucking really? Yeah, they, <laughs> and, they, yeah. yes, and so deeply, yeah. their fullest commitment to like, you just seconds ago were like, what? what? Yeah. And then the next moment is like, no, no, -uh. this is not, no. How is this still happening? I can't. Okay, cool. I'm good. I'm good. No. What now? That is. How do you want to break this down? You want to talk like favorite characters, favorite moments, favorite scenes? I, I can't. I took some notes. Oh, good. I was watching. Some of these might not make any sense. Uh, these are all from season two because I mm -hmm. like I don't entirely recall season one. But apparently, so it starts. I'm like, okay, the boys. And I had been watching, eh, like not feel good television i'd been watching some like gritty stuff what was it the, um the kingdom i think mma fighters like dude's mom's a prostitute and dude's getting out of prison it's just like these are not top of the world people so i'm like i just I switch into something slightly more something so apparently i've forgotten that not bill Hader was in this show you know Similar who he case. is He's the guy. He's Meg Ryan and uh, um, one of the, the Quaid. Yes, one of the Quaids. Uh, <laughs> Dennis Quaid, I believe. What? Rand which one's the crazy one? Randy Quaid's the crazy one, right? I think so. so Dennis Quaid and Meg. Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan's kid. He's great. Yeah, 
I would have pictured that prettier. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch! You're lovely. Ouch. I think he's adorable. He's adorable and beautiful. I just, I, yeah, I would have pictured that uh, differently. Maybe the thing about uh, Dennis is that he's kind of sexy, sexy, ugly. He's not actually maybe good looking, but he's got a vibe. Maybe that's how that happened. Mm. So there's not Bill Hader, isn't it? And then I got super excited when new Martha Plimpton was on screen. She plays the redhead, whatever the lady. Oh, is. yes. And I'm like, new Who's Martha, Martha Plimpton? Plimpton. Sorry. Martha Plimpton's from the Goonies. She's the the blonde. She plays the grumpy best friend, friend oh. throughout the 80s. Okay. Yeah. Um, for me, Homelander is so awful. Sometimes I just cannot look at the screen when he's on the screen. That actor is talk about a fucking breakout performance. Like he's been in stuff before. He's not like an introducing so-and-so. Yeah. But I mean, he's Australian. So he's doing, he, it, it confirms my theory about, uh, I don't know if we've mentioned this on the show or not, but I have this theory that uh, did I did I? I don't know. Oh, okay. Our accent? You, no, the theory is that we find people who are affecting an American accent slightly more hypnotizing um, because the character that they're creating is further removed from who they quote unquote actually are. Um, and I don't think there, there's certainly American actors who can do good accents other other places. But then you have the Kevin Costner's and the fucking D- uh, Dick Van Dykes uh, <laughs> who are like, are you even trying? <laughs> but then you see there are people who you're like, how would you know how you would ne- like you can't yeah. find anything in his performance that does not sound like he's that good old Midwestern whatever that he's trying to be. Yeah, I know that. In season one, I had the process of, by the end of the season, getting to a place of sympathy with him as a character. Mm. I just know that I, I just, I did not have access to much of that in season two. No, I just was I, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, c- compassion for Hitler does not make him a lot less deplorable, <laughs> and yeah. this character is. So hateable. It's incredible, but it's not Machiavellian. It's not black. It's not like the emperor in Star Wars. Like you want to yeah. talk about a two dimensional character, like I'm evil. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. the the Homelander is a fleshed out character that you believe that it you believe he could be that awful. Which makes it kind of worse. Yes. Yes. Better and worse. Yes. Uh, so there's a moment. Apparently, my note is more badass criminals should wear kitty T-shirts. So if you're going to be a badass criminal, I think there's the French guy is yeah. wearing a kitty T-shirt. And yeah. I'm like, yes. Yes to that. Please. Can we have more kitty T-shirts juxtaposing just assassins and shit? Yeah. 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 Um, this one was big for me. We talk about healing in television. Now, you talk a lot about like resisting what's happening and and mm. just allowing. So here's, I think I think I'm down for this. I don't do any substances that would force me into this situation, but if I ever hear Patton Oswalt's voice speaking for any of my body parts, 
um, apparently just fuck all that, fuck it all, is means I don't want it to be happening. It's no, thank you. And if it sings, fuck that, fuck that all, no. But then while this stuff was going on, I was just like, okay, what if I, what if I didn't resist this and allowed this to be affecting and beautiful? What if my body parts were talking to me? I love it's you so much. <laughs> this is my moment to prove this theory we have in Enlightened Couch Potato. That so you surrendered to it, and then what part of your body started speaking to you as Patton Oswalt? <laughs> it was really, there was a, there were there were so many sensations and feelings and emotions like colliding with each other. <laughs> Some aspects of just getting connected to the parts of me that might be Patton Oswaldy that are hard to love. Um, and goddamn, I don't want to be singing. You are so beautiful. And so there was like there was like like half cry, half cringe happening. Uh, and then this knowing, and I was like, I could try, I could watch, I could try to watch this later. I don't have to, I don't have to relax too hard into this. This is definitely an episode where if you haven't seen the show, you have no idea what she's talking about right now. You're completely lost. All of us have parts of ourselves, our personality, parts of our body. That are Patton Oswalt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really speak in a voice that just is not the most appealing us <laughs> and are harder to love and to look at and to be with and to embrace especially if they're singing way to chunk up on the lesson good job <laughs> uh speaking of pat oswald slight subject change have you yeah. seen happy oh i've seen uh, i think i'm still in the first episode i was really distractible when i was trying to watch it Mm. I enjoyed that a lot. The first season was better than the second one, but the second one still had some very interesting places that it went. And that's that may be my favorite Patton Oswalt performance ever. I mean, I think his stand-up comedy is brilliant, and I really love him. And uh, Ratatouille, oh, Ratatouille is such a beautiful and amazing movie that is about so much more than cooking. And, uh, <laughs> and... Yeah, I, I think that his performance as the imaginary unicorn friend of a little girl who ends up getting uh, stuck with basically Bruce Willis from Die Hard, um, who then has to go rescue this little girl. That is a you want to talk about a difficult show to watch, but it's yeah. much it's weirdly it's it's it can be almost more brutal than the boys, but it is also. I feel like more happy, like it's a little more fun and playful and the boys yeah. can be whew, like, I can't, I don't want to watch two episodes of the boys in a row. Right. <laughs> I have learned that I'm, if I'm exclaiming the actor's name, uh, they're probably dead in the next 20 seconds. I don't know. Maybe I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Oh, mm, sorry. Sorry about that. Um, also, my <laughs> note at the end here um, is that apparently the Anne Frank-looking character is the most racist. Anne That's Frank. not weird to me. There's a character that, to me, looked like Anne Frank grown up, and then uh, it's kind of awful. Oh, I know. Who you, yeah, you're talking about uh, Stormfront. Yeah. So, wait. So then who was the the character you referenced from Goonies? Who Who's that character? 
Martha Plimpton. Oh, the new new Martha Plimpton is the lady who took over. She's supposed to be the handler. Oh, she's supposed yeah, she's the redhead. She's losing her hair because she's so stressed out. Yeah, talk about a character that like now I have an enormous amount of compassion for. Like I hated her in the first season, and in the second season, I'm like, oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> her from the first season is yeah how... she she was um she was like the the contact point for um for starlight and then cool. she like bitches her out at one point and um and reveals her true duplicitous nature um but then her duplicitous nature uh doesn't work out so well for her when <laughs> she gets a promotion <laughs> fair fair yeah it's a very fascinating concept of like what happens when you're in a position of power? What happens when you have power? But how are you also trapped? Mm-hmm. That's some of the themes that I wrapped around. I love the um, the junket ridiculousness of the three now female superheroes and the faux fucking feminism that media wants. Yes. Them to yes. Yeah. The thing that uh, my theory on superheroes for a long time has been the the value of superheroes, and I believe this was the same value of gods in ancient Greece, uh, is that you're basically taking characteristics and you're turning them up to 11. And it allows you to play with storylines and relationships and relationship conflicts that are universal but you get to play with them where the stakes are so much higher and the intensity and the uh, and the the um, the the lessons are easier to draw out because you you've ramped it up. I mean, this is a hypnosis technique that we both of us know how to do is you can ramp certain things up to the point where you're able to now see things you couldn't see before. And um, I remember. Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a TV show that was about high school. It was about mm-hmm. it's not about vampires. The vampires are incidental. It's about high school that happens to have vampires and vampire slaying and all this stuff in it yeah. because that ramps up and it it makes the show feel more like high school actually felt to you when yes. you were there. Because every day felt like the end of the world and whatever was going on was so big and so important, so crazy. And it's just you and your friends against all this other shit where the world is ending all of the time. But here we are, we're in Sunnydale, it's the Hellmouth, and the world is always ending. Yes. So I think superheroes allow us to do that where you can you can take certain situations and then just turn it up to 11 and then the i mean i that's why i like them I, people who knock superhero things is like juvenile or like uh, i no 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 yeah. human beings have been telling stories about super humans for ever yeah my curiosity is i remember the first season here's here's somewhere that i I get a little fluffed, maybe not in the be- best way, uh, where, so not the fluffing. No, yeah, no you, fluffing. I'm sorry. You said it, and then it took a second, and then when I was like, what did she mean by, the- oh, <laughs> that I couldn't help Like it. somebody pets, pets your cat backwards, and your friend's like, huh? Yeah. So here's what pets my cat backwards. <laughs> <laughs> that was not better. 
She does this on purpose. Just in case you're wondering. So, yeah, here's what puts my cat backwards. I think the first season gestured at global issues in a way that allows us to sort of turn them into what we want them to be. And we were a bit more on the nose in season two in a way that was just. Oh, I agree. A little too heavy handed. I agree. And too specific. Such that it didn't allow the magic of like. I don't know when you get when people get really, really specific about what the dangers are, they yeah. don't feel as scary or they, there's something that makes well, it. And there's two, when the, when the overlap between the show and the real world, it then becomes preachy mm-hmm. because you're you're talking directly. It's like, here's what we think about what's going on in the world today. And yeah. the, you need to that, that again, this is basic hypnotic metaphor telling is if you tell them exactly what you're trying to tell them, it meets the critical faculty. But if you take it and you go, what's something like that, but not that, that still conveys the same interrelationships and you tell that story, then the person can still get the lessons about this issue, but you're talking about it in a different way. There are some ways that I think the show does that well, but I think with some of the things it's so on the nose that it, it, it feels preachy. And the second season was definitely more doing that more than the the first. There were some things I liked better about the second one. Sure. Uh, And I don't know if there are people in the writer's room who are just like, we want to talk about this thing and cool. If there's anybody who's sort of on Who's you know? There's a continuity person. Yeah. In in like oh you know, what is daytime doing? Where do we leave the cup? There are people that do that, yeah. and I wonder if there are people who who take care of knowing what's affecting about the show they're creating, and recognizing that there are different ways to tell a story that leaves leaves a lot of the work in our hands. To make the connections. I don't know. Cause I mean, we're watching in this particular way. So the more hypnotic it is, the better in our state, but maybe you got to dumb it down for some humans and make it like super specific. It, that's not what it feels like to me. And you, you probably right. And what it feels like to me is that it's more like, it feels almost placating in it, in that it's like, this, this is what you guys want us to write about, right? Like, you're all upset about this thing, so that's what we're going to put in the story. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel as authentically motivated by the story. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think of good examples where that wasn't the case. I don't know. Um, I know good and, and examples. It, I don't feel that way about all the issues. Like, in the first season, when The Deep... Uh, 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 forces uh, through intimidation uh starlight um that felt really great like that not great i mean that felt like very authentic like i was like fuck this is a thing that happens you know it happens and it's awful and it feels so real and it was so sudden and just you're like what would you do like you you yeah. put yourself in her shoes and it's it's almost like it's not moralizing on it. It's just telling the story. And the yeah. second season had a lot more like, like, th- th- and this is bad, right? We all agree this is bad. And like yeah. th- with the first one, they're like, they just show it to you. And they're like, we we know you know it's bad. We don't have to tell you this is bad. Yeah, that is fair. I know a show that gets that super wrong and it's aggravating. Supergirl. 
is one of the shows that just is very heavy handed in its political. Yeah, that's a perfect example. I haven't watched very many episodes, but I've seen enough people dissect why that show did not work in the way that some of the other uh, DC TV shows really did. Um, and there are they sometimes tackle big issues. I mean, fuck the season was season three finale of Flash when he finally goes back and sees his mom and stuff like that. That is a, an emotionally pro found moment Mm -hmm. and totally earned and real and visceral and um yeah i think the 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 supergirl one just like it became uh, almost like propaganda is the wrong word because it's like even if i agree with the point you're making you're making your point badly it's bad propaganda yeah essentially every single character for a couple episodes here and there just ends up having the same banal voice mm. of gun control and immigrants and, meh, meh, meh. and I'm just like fucking hell. So there you, you make it, you make an interesting point. You said something earlier that you're like, we want things to be as hypnotic as possible. That was an interesting phrasing that you, we that, do. Yeah. That's our approach. And also it's in the benefit of humans. No, but that, that's what I'm saying is I, I like you and I talk a lot about how you can, you can get value from anything. You mm-hmm. can enjoy anything. And yet here we are complaining about Supergirl. So what, so I'm like, so why, why not that? Like I can watch fast and the furious, yeah. right? I can watch fast and the furious and enjoy the fuck out of it. Yeah, and still, and and part of it is they know, like they have, they all have to know this is stupid, and we know it's stupid, and we're not trying to make it anything other than that. But and but in that way, I'm like, I'm with you. I'm 100 percent with you. Let's go there. Come on, next next movie's in space, cars in space. Let's race on the moon, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and- it's different because they're not. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that makes us have to work harder to, to, to prove our premise. I could absolutely rewatch all of the episodes of Super, Supergirl and get stuff out of it. It just means that I have to drop down to like my like the youngest not understanding language self. <laughs> because the, the, if we if we peel back the hood of hypnosis and we talk about this concept yeah. of levels of abstraction. Look at the colors. <laughs> Right? Yeah, uh, so like Teletubbies. Like if you can get yourself to the point where you can enjoy Teletubbies and Barney, yeah. then you could, if you're watching Supergirl with that level or Transformers for that matter, with yeah. that level of flashing lights and colors and noises. Fast <laughs> does that. It's like, oh, fast car, room. Yeah. Explosions. And then a couple lines, they're throwaway. That's not what's going on with yeah. those movies. It's Ugh, easy to watch. Family, family, family. <laughs> yeah so you can ignore the the dialogue generally a lot easier if you're like drop down into like i'm 12 cars go fast i'm gonna drive soon um the challenge with something like supergirl is when they use vast amounts of language and exposition and then just deliver these long ass speeches not utilizing hypnotic ways that language can impact people Mm. 
it becomes it becomes heavy handed because it takes you out of suddenly we're in a classroom. We're no longer in the world where aliens huh. are fighting. There's like it just like it just takes you to a weird intellectual place. I actually, oh, this reminds me of. Okay, so I, w- I was going to church one summer for the sake of, I wanted to just be inspired regularly. And I walked into the Unitarian Universalist Church and one of, in my town, like, I don't know, seven years ago. Good choice as far as churches and, go. <laughs> yeah, Universalists, they bring in a bunch of different theories from all over the place. I thought, yeah. this is cool. And I've been in that space and it's been good. The summertime, though, is not their main human. They have substitutes that come in to so the, hum- the other people. I don't know what they call their humans that deliver the stuff. So there's this couple that travel around and fill in for other people. And this gentleman delivered some, uh, I guess I'll call it a sermon. And it, to me, it sounded like a, a master's lecture on environmentalism, utilizing like gluttony and all these other things of talking about environmentalism, of a, like oh, compulsion towards, you know, buying shit. Uh, it was, a, it was a, it was a, like a, I'm not having words because I'm like so tense. I ended that presentation. It was organized. He took us through all of the sins of the whatever, and then he compared it to the different. Uh, I felt fucking awful. I felt like the world was black and humans were awful. You're and getting re-traumatized right now just living through yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, he's just like, consumerism gluttony and and it wasn't even like the baptist version everybody sins you're going to hell like fire and brimstone it wasn't that it was just like a a like phd dissertation on we suck and it wasn't even a rousing do better uh at the end and so i was just like oh again fluffed the wrong way and um so i was very curious about it I was like, and I, this was like the fourth sermon I'd watched this person person give. And I just leave feeling worse. And I'm like, that's not why I came in here. And I walked in and I got into rapport with the guy. I just showed up and I was like, hey, I have some curiosity about the sermon you, you gave. I've, I've seen about four of them. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing. I don't know if I'm your audience. Um, and I'm wondering if you'd be willing to talk to me about your, how you're inspired each, each Sunday to create something for us. Um, And so I said something like, you know, I've studied a lot about language and I know that there are ways to tell stories that help people feel empowered and resourceful and get excited about moving into the world. I imagine, you know, some of these strategies and what you delivered today was a bit more like, you know, back in college, listening to like the atrocities of things. And maybe I just come wanting to be inspired. And now I feel sort of sad and grumpy. I'm very curious, like, what are your intentions when you're creating this work? And his response was that the demographics are that they have a lot of graduate level people who are Unitarian Universalists. They're like master's degrees and PhDs and all these humans that that are used to sort of a more professorial delivery of information and they want to get involved in social justice and that sort of thing. So he feels that it is his duty to provide the information. And there are people who just don't, they have so much trauma around the old school, like get them up and cheer. 
rah, 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 or condemning that they try to stay away from that. That's That was his goal. And he's like, I think you might enjoy. And then he listed off a couple of different churches that are more about like universality of goodness and joy and leaving feeling light, light and lovely. He's like, I think you might enjoy that. And I was like, I really appreciate that. But, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, we have the opportunity to reach audiences in a particular way. And I just, I wonder whether they know the tools that they have access to. So there's, first of all, the, one of the many reasons that I love you is that you would even go and have that conversation. <laughs> like so many people, myself included, would just be like, I'm going to go someplace else. <laughs> I'm not going to go actually talk to this person and give them my feedback because they probably don't want to hear it mm -hmm. uh, or are going to listen to it anyway. Um, and I think it's amazing that you did uh, because you never know. And if nothing else, you come out of it better having had that conversation, even yeah. if he doesn't do anything. So it, regarding the point of they're not using the tools of effective communication. So I was, uh, I, I've recently been teaching NLP again for the first time in six years. Uh, I'm doing a virtual NLP training, which is more of an invitation only because I'm trying to figure out, is it possible to actually teach NLP in an effective way online? Yeah. Uh, because there are some things like horseback riding that are very difficult to teach in a virtual setting. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. NLP bridges that gap. There's a lot of it that is very challenging to actually teach. However, the one of the main inspirations that I had is that we're all stuck online right now. So we might as well learn how to use it. Even if you can't use everything that you could if you were in person, well, no one's in person right now. So you might as well learn online NLP, for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah. So I started running the training and I had an experience about four weeks into it where I am good enough at taking feedback that I was like, this is not working. Like they're not getting it. Like I have new people in the class. I have some old people who were like, they're following along fine, but the yeah. new people were not getting it. And, and I realized I have to go back to the drawing board completely. Like I was trying to do it too similar to the way that it's been taught in live trainings for 30 fucking years at this yeah. point. And it just, so I, I had this conversation with an expert who I got a chance to talk to on virtual training. And uh, in particular, he teaches, he teaches a lot of different things, but one of the things that he focuses on is very high level coding like how to, how to teach skills, like practical skills, measurable skills, and to download those skills into to a, a group of students in a predictable fashion in the most efficient way possible. And one of the things that he said, he said this metaphor that was so good. He said, I used to think it was about how much food I put out on the buffet table. But then I realized it's about how much they eat and how much they can digest. Yeah. And if you force feed them too much food, they won't actually digest any of it. They will, they will get nothing. It doesn't matter how much food you put out on the buffet table or how beautiful it is presented. 
if they don't eat any of it, they don't get anything out of it. And that is such a wonderful paradigm shift for the idea of training and teaching, but even communication in general. Like, I don't want to talk at you. I want to have an impact. There is an intention behind everything that we say and do and everything we communicate. If the focus should be on achieving that intention. And I would argue, and I think you were making the same point that those people, PhDs or, or not, are probably not coming out of those lectures transformed in the same way that we're not coming out of Supergirl transformed. Yes. Yes. In the sense that it feels familiar. It feels very like what happened last week, the week before we reached every time I go to this church for my church experience. Uh, A lot of people don't know that they can ask for better. A lot of people don't. I'm hoping for an explosion of, um, shift in higher education because what's interesting about paying fuck tons of money to go to college and sit in classroom where we're part of the paradigm is that you pay these PhDs who don't like to teach. They have to teach, but they want to research. Like they're not necessarily the best people to deliver information. But really? <laughs> no kidding. I am looking forward to the paradigm shifting COVID and beyond into the humans that are great at delivering information that people can actually take in in any format yeah, or the people teaching and the people right. who are great at research are the ones researching. And we like right. break this open. Yes. So you don't have to have as many faculty to deliver yeah. the results that you're trying to get. And then we change up, we change up the thing to, to mean like, what are people able to do after this show? Yeah. What are people able to do after this school experience? Are they able to turn around and have it be useful to them? Yeah. And there's no, it was very rare in my college experience for there to be any trajectory of tracking the usefulness to me in my life of any of the things that I was taking. No, there was no, there was no like four year long thing. I mean, art schools are good at that. Like trade schools are really great at delivering results and helping people put together a portfolio of all of their experiences that they could showcase to employers or show what they know what they're doing. Like, um, and I wonder with showrunners, we're going back movies and television, like with showrunners, when they try to be heavy handed with some of these things, like, like I'm curious about who holds the vision and intention through through all the episodes. I really want to talk to one of these people. Yeah. It makes you wonder, is it just, uh, like the 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 bullshit faux feminism in the boys, where you're like, are, do they really? Does anybody really believe this, or are they just doing it because they think it's what we want? Mm-hmm. Or are there people there who are like, no, I, this is my cause. I yeah. believe in this strongly. I'm just terrible at getting my point across. <laughs> like I was thinking about some of the best classes I've ever taken. Mm-hmm. were from actors teaching about acting because that's what they knew. But the way that they knew how to command presence in the room, like it makes me think of what was Kyle, Kyle Reese, Kyle, Kyle Reese? what? Was a comedian? Yeah. Kyle <laughs> Wait, Kyle Reese is from Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Cease. Yes. Yeah. The comedian turned personal development uh guy uh he's a great example because i think 
like comedians have arguably the best crowd control skills anywhere. Yeah. Like they know how to go into a room and be like, you're all going with me. (laughs) And, and when you translate that into, okay, now I'm going to teach you something. Even if a comedian became a grade school teacher, like the skills that they would bring to that would be, they'd be the best teacher ever. Uh, Yeah. I mean, granted, I think there's certainly there's an overlap. I'm not saying any actor would be a great teacher because there are skills to teaching, too. There are just skills to teaching that uh, there are there are elements of being an excellent teacher that overlap with performance and they overlap with hypnosis, like effective communication. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that a lot of teachers or preachers or showrunners have studied that stuff. Yeah, I can ask. I have a friend that's going through seminary right now to become a chaplain. And I can ask, like, when you're learning these things, do they teach you how to command the attention of a room? Yeah. How to write things in an emotionally effective way? Do they... I mean, I went through an entire marketing and advertising degree and we never had a sales writing class. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't or if it's extremely minimal. Yeah, and I have friends who are teachers. I'm like, did they teach you how to command the attention of a bunch of... Yeah, they're like, no, here's the lesson plan. Here's how to follow this. Okay, just go do it. And then you're like, okay. (laughs) It's almost like every preacher or uh, teacher should have to go do open mic nights for a really long time as part of their, their curriculum. Oh, God. Yeah. It's not different. <laughs> That's what school is like, I'm sure. Yeah. So did you enjoy this season? I know you were talking about that there was some review that you read. Oh, yeah. So um, this was, I did, I disagreed with this, but it was an article that was something about shows like The Boys Are Ruining Us, I think was the title of the mm. article. And it was something about just like shocking and brutality for brutality's sake. And my argument would be, uh, take that stick out of your butt. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, the, I've seen brutality for brutality's sake, and it's called Saw, right? Or Saw yeah. 3 in particular. Right. Like, it's called Hostel or whatever. There are movies that are just about that. The Boys is fucking far from that. And if you can't see what's going on in it, you are walking around with your cockles up. Like you are looking to be offended. Yeah. Uh, And as Mae West said, and I think she may have been quoting uh, Oscar Wilde, those who are easily offended should be offended more often. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. I I suppose that the, when you're turning up the dial to 11, everything that we're saying is shocking is absolutely plausible. Yeah. That happens in the boys. It's like, Oh yeah, no, I can see how, in a world like this. Yeah. That's what happens next. Seems somewhat yeah. reasonable. And I'll devil's advocate here for a second. And I'll say, look, look the, I'll, I'll counter what I said before with, you don't have to like what I like. Like, yeah. if you don't like it, fine. But don't make a case that shows like this are ruining the world. What What do you mean by that? Like, that's as 
as stupid as the argument that violent video games make people more violent. That is demonstrably and scientifically false. In fact, that if anything, it has the opposite effect because it allows the point of the violence is it's not real. If yeah. it was real, it would be terrible and awful and none of us would enjoy it or real genuine psychopaths would enjoy it. And that's it. But if the fact that it's not is a celebration of life, it's a celebration of the fact that we are not living in that. And I really firmly believe that I, I do. I think that your brain is fully capable of recognizing, oh, this is not real. That's why it's okay to do this. And, yeah. I, and that does not translate into I'm driving on the road and I've been playing GTA 5 and I'm going to be like, oh, look, pedestrian. Like, no, uh, that never. <laughs> yeah, there's also the argument to be made that some people's reality is that horrifying mm. and in media up until this point, we've left those things to the imagination. Yes. And what that means. Pan is, away. <laughs> yeah. What that means is that a bunch of us have a practiced reality of being sh sheltered and shielded yeah. from some of the most horrifying things that actually fucking right. happen to people. Yeah. So in some, in some ways, the amount of empathy that one can I mean, so I'm not fond of the new trend of actually showing people vomiting. I like when you just heard it off screen. Yeah. I preferred it. I really did. Yeah. I'm good if I never see anyone vomit on screen ever, ever again. In my <laughs> life, I've seen zero people vomit, like actually vomit. I'd have to pick it up after the fact from oh. places. I've seen people's vomit and had to clean it, but I've just... Like, I haven't spent a lot of time to, around heavy drinkers, huh? <laughs> uh, or, you know, you like have to be the supervisor and your house manager is like, I'm not doing it. Uh, like humans puke places. Yeah. And I've worked places yeah. where humans puke and you have to clean that shit up. Um, so, yeah, like many of my family members, they have the experience of having to have been in their own bodies, myself included in this list of family yeah. members who have seen horrible, awful fucking things in their lives that most people just do this to anyway and they can't yeah. imagine. So what's interesting is you may be able to appreciate what other people go through when you know that this shit actually, some of this right. shit actually does happen. Yeah, These are the circumstances that actual humans find themselves in and then what they do next. Yeah. Yeah, well, and we we uh, we did talk about it's ramped up to eleven. So it, some of the things are 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 things that can't happen or have never happened at that level. But <clears throat> I guess again, I go back to you. You said like some people's lives are so horrific that they don't need to see it in their entertainment. I get that. I totally get that. We, we just discussed that in our chat last week. That one of my all time favorite movies, maybe my favorite movie ever, one of the most spiritual movies i've ever seen i think is a movie called the fountain by darren aronofsky i don't want to discuss it in detail because i want you to watch it and then we'll talk about it yeah. but i will tell you um it, it deals with some heavy topics it's not like aronofsky's other movies that are like <laughs> like that valence not like that it's it's more just like no this is a thing we're all gonna have to deal with because it's about death yeah and um and it's about how dealing with it and and facing it and um, I find it to be beautiful, like so visually, emotionally 
philosophically, it, it, it blows my mind every time I see it and it never gets, it, it only gets better. I've seen it probably 15 times. <laughs> um, I think I've, I've watched that movie maybe more than any other movie I've ever seen because I keep introducing people who haven't seen it. And I'm like, I'll watch it with you. Yeah. So my wife watched it with me once and like, I'm not proud to say I actually got kind of pissed off after we watched it because she didn't like it. And I was very personally offended. I have hopefully, I think grown beyond that, but I was like, Oh good. I don't know if we can be together. (laughs) And this was a long time ago, Um, but it was really shitty. And it was like a big conflict. So just like two weeks ago, she decided she was like, I think I want to watch it again. And I was like, all right, cool. Like I'll watch it. And we sat down and we watched it and I loved it. And she got to the end and she was like, I'm really, really glad I watched that a second time because I still really don't like it. (laughs) And, and we sort of started digging into it. And she was like, there's something about Aaron Aronofsky's movies and movies like that, where they just don't let up. There's like a kind of relentlessness to, okay, this is the direction the movie's going to go. And they're, they're, we're not going to wink. We're not going to take a break. We're not going to smile or joke. It's just that's the direction we're going. And I don't have a problem with that. But I did not have a childhood like she had. Like, it's not a trauma's in the eye of the beholder and it's not a pissing contest. And there's a marked difference between the, the trauma that I had in my childhood and what she fucking went through. And when I think about that, I'm like, well, maybe the inside of her head is difficult enough. Like I don't need to watch things. She also doesn't like horror. Um, And uh, she's just like, no, I don't have, no, I have no interest. And I used to think like, you need to get over that. Like you should, you should be able to do that. And I have since completely shifted my perspective on that. It's like, trust the wisdom inside. You have, you are called to watch things for a reason. And I feel called to watch horror. I get a lot out of it. It is quite enlightening and inspiring to me. And, and some of them are difficult to, they're difficult experiences, but maybe my childhood wasn't challenging enough and I need more. So I'm like, I want to live through other people's. And she's like, I already have had enough. I'll just watch nicer things. It's not like she never watches challenging stuff. I mean, or one of her favorite movies is cloud Atlas. And that's a, that's a rough movie too. Yeah. Uh, so My yeah. My version yeah. is like, I think monsters ball was one of the hardest movies I recall watching. Yeah. I, I've dealt with depression a lot in my past and I've got trauma in my past. And there's sometimes I really like a slow burn indie flick where somebody's like Matthew, I'm forgetting, is it Matt Perry? Matthew Perry from Friends? He's in yeah. a movie called Numb. It's fucking amazing. He's got, he's playing a guy who has this uh, version. I don't know if it's a version of OCD where he just doesn't, he's just like, he's just a low web human. And just like, if, it, if his life got like a millisecond, like a millisecond, skosh better, that's, Heck of a, but it's like just slow depressing i like a i like a slow depressing movie like i like a slow depressing song mm. uh and sometimes i like a slow depressing fuck let's go there but the thing is monsters ball 
was like um, having all of my insides raped by a rake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Emotionally, that's what it felt like. Somebody just like took yeah. it like, like one of those old school metal and just like, I'm going to stick this on your internet. And that was the whole movie. And that's the ending. You're just left there raw and open rake fucked and just looking at Halle Berry and what's his knuckle and thinking it could have been different. It could have been a whole entirely other movie with those two it was like uh, Billy think, Bob. Yeah. We just I sit on a porch at the end and I'm just like, what do I life after this? What I'm trying I- to think of movies that have left me feeling that way. And I think the only thing why. I want to watch a movie. It's never my goal. <laughs> I think the only things that I can think of that made me feel <clears throat> like that uh, insides were raped with a rake were like the new Star Wars movies, probably. <laughs> it's, all, it's all perspective. Everyone has their yeah, own. I, that was like, like, took my like childhood. I imagine someone deeply religious and having somebody like defile your your sacred text, <laughs> and I'm just like, no, why, why would you do that to another person? No, <laughs> the the fourth Indiana Jones movie too, maybe, but not quite as much. <laughs> I actually, in in all seriousness, I actually don't think I can think of any movies that have left me feeling like, like gut punched in that way. Like I, there's horror movies where afterwards, like Hereditary is one where afterwards I'm just like, oh my God. Like, and I have to like process it for days afterwards. But I, I want to, I want to say like maybe Schindler's List and I, and and the reason is because it's actually relatively true in the sense that I mean it, it, Spielberg took liberties with the story, but the 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 essence of it really happened, and that gets to me in a different way. Like when there's a story that is even like I know this sort of thing has happened, but these characters are not real. There's a there's a separation for me that I don't actually feel it in that same way. But when I'm like, fuck, this happened. Like Schindler's List is, um, uh, oh, you know, uh, <laughs> there's a couple. Sophie's Choice okay. Yeah. Okay. Was, um, was, was hard, really hard. Cause I, and I think kids, and then um, fuck, what's the um, Dustin Hoffman one about divorce? Terms of endearment? No, no, right. it's it's it's, uh, it's two names. It's something v Kramer something. Versus Kramer. Kramer versus Kramer. I watched that while I was getting divorced with a small child, mm-hmm. and it it broke me. It was so hard to watch because I never thought that I would be in that position, and I never thought that I was going to have to figure out like how to raise a kid in a split family and all this stuff. And that movie was so real and so well acted. And that one, that was that, but, but it was very personal. It was very specific at that time in my life. Yeah. I, 
I can't watch the color purple. Also, but Million Dollar Baby. Both of those movies have, it's not like a raked feeling. Color Purple is a bit too close to home for me. But like, did you watch them at some point? When I was younger, uh, they would come on on HBO all of the time. Uh Like like Color Purple, not Million Dollar Baby. Yeah. Color Purple would come on all the time. And in my house, when it would be on, we would watch it. It would just, whatever, wherever it was, we'd watch. And then I just had to focus on the parts of my life that just felt better than that. I did. I just like, I could not. So I remember buying the movie and just never taking the shrink wrap off because I wanted to support this story and the healing that it's done. I wanted to support Oprah and Whoopi and all these amazing people in the movie. Yeah. It's an important story. Story. Yeah. But I just, I wanted to keep it in the shrink wrap so that just wouldn't be tempted to watch it again because I just don't really need to remember. It it makes me think about like World War II vets who went to see uh, Saving Private Ryan and then left. And they were like, I appreciate what you've done here and I cannot watch this. Um, And like that, that feels um, at least qualitatively similar in what you're talking about. The other one, the million dollar baby, like I get, I totally get for you personally. Like, I'm like, as soon as you said that, I'm like, uh, huh. (laughs) I totally get why you would find that to be so difficult. I loved that movie and I, I found it. I mean, it's hard. It's hard, hard movie to watch. Um, uh, yeah. There's been a few movies that have hit me like that where I, like it's not that I have a hard time going back and watching them but there's certain movies that spoke to me very personally. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> this, this is going to sound <laughs> stupid but the second Spider-Man movie when I was uh <laughs> when I watched that in the theater there's a moment at the end of the movie when uh when uh Dr. Octopus has captured Mary Jane and oh god this sounds so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the color purple and now i'm talking about spider-man so uh uh dr octopus has captured mary jane and uh spider-man goes there and they're fighting and at one point he takes his mask off but you forget that mary jane is there and she doesn't know that peter parker is spider-man and so then uh dr octopus uh sacrifices himself as he kind of regains his faculty and like he redeems himself by sacrificing himself and then then you forgot because that's a powerful moment. And then Peter looks up and he sees Mary Jane and she knows who he is. And he'd been hiding it this whole time. And she'd been so disappointed in him because she didn't know the battle that he was fighting inside. And that moment stuck with me. And for years, I would think back to that and be like, that resonates so deeply with me. And then one day I realized that wasn't healthy. That I was waiting for someone to see my inner struggle and battle. And I was like, someday somebody's going to see how hard I'm working and they're going to recognize it. And I'm going to have that moment when it's all going to make sense and all is going to be forgiven. And I was like, Ooh, I think that's gross. I think that's like really codependent for me. And um, I had to heal that. On the other hand, that is literally 
what therapists are for. Yeah, yeah, yes. That is one of the levels. There's the longing. Each of us, like the people who love you and that you love, they don't get to walk in your shoes the way that you have to understand what your life is like or it feels like to be you or what's on the other side of their hug and that sort of thing. And the interesting thing that therapy offers when you you pay someone whose job it is to appreciate your perspective and what you've been through and mirror it back to you in a way where you both can hold it in love. Yeah. And the the key is the key is that going and hiring a therapist is an, is you taking responsibility for it. What I was doing was waiting and I was, uh, and resentful that it hadn't happened yet. And that the people that I thought should do this for me hadn't done it. Um, the other movie, and this one still to this day hits me. And maybe I need to get over this too. Now that I'm saying, now that I'm putting these in the same, like back to back, but I, boy, I love this movie is, um, it's called Red Belt. Hmm. You like martial arts movies? I do. Okay. So very quote unquote realistic in the martial arts sense. Like he's a jujitsu fighter teacher and um, it's got, uh, oh no, I, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name. Oh, okay. um, I can't even remember. He's in uh, Serenity, the Firefly TV show movie. He's the, the, the assassin with the sword. Mm-hmm. I love that actor. He's so fucking great. And I, I, I can see his name. I have no idea how to say it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, brilliant actor. And this is my favorite performance I've ever seen him in. It's written by David Mamet, written mm-hmm. and directed by David Mamet, who is a martial artist, by the way, like a fairly avid martial artist. So uh, it, the short version is it's about like a, a effectively a modern day samurai in the sense that he lives by a code and the world is not living by a code and it keeps fucking him over over and over and over and he won't give up his principles and by the end of the movie you're like dude fucking compromise your principles please like you just you and but then the way that it finishes like i don't want to spoil it but it is like for me personally, the emotional release of like, like, I don't, again, I don't want to spoil it. It's so good. And again, this is one I've tried to introduce other people to and they don't get it. So I don't even know if it's a good movie. It might just be me. (laughs) Uh, But I love Mamet's dialogue. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with him. His plays are awesome. He's a playwright who's apparently doing movies as well. Yeah, he's done a few, uh, but Mamet's dialogue, it, the, the, I don't know anybody else who will write in characters mishearing something like <laughs> that. He'll say something and then the other character will say, what did you say? And like, it's so real. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. You should watch it. I think I had some of his plays in a book. I've I've purged a bunch of things. I don't have them now. I'll go check it out. Red Belt. Red Belt. It's worth watching. I've introduced a few people to it. I would love to discuss it on here. Uh, I don't think I gave away too much. Nice. No. On the other hand, uh, uh, I kind of need to wrap this up. We've been going for a long time. Uh, Super fun conversation, though. I love this. Yeah. So I don't know if other people, you know, we're wanting you to TV deeply and take this, you know make this a serious pursuit in your world. Uh, the boys, I really, other than the Patton Oswalt moment, I don't know that if I had. Should we give like 
stars or ratings or thumbs or something <laughs> to, to our should we do reviews in addition to uh Like um, three couches and a potato. <laughs> I get it. I <laughs> like a I potato is half a couch, <laughs> so like three couches and a potato is like three and a half stars. Right. So I would right. say there's like four couches. Like boys well, is like four couches. It's all of the couches. I think I think I found it easier to watch. The second season felt easier to watch than the first one for me, and I think it helped that I sort of had it like I. You knew what was coming. Brace myself. (laughs) You're like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I found myself enjoying more of the characters this time than I did the Mm. first season. I I think I had that instance of like, I'm not sure I like anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's tough to stick with shows where there's nobody appealing or redeeming. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So boys, you give it. Five couches? Yeah. Okay. There, are, there are five total couches. I like four couches and a potato. Yeah. I reserve five couches for very particular things. So I will say this is four couches, but that's very good for me. Like yeah. four couches is like excellent. Definitely worth your time. Five couches and like a couple French fries. Like four couches and some French fries. Yes. It's like four four couches with some fries like stuck in between the cushions. Totally. Surprise <laughs> yeah. fries. Yes. Surprise fries. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. We're on point today. This was an excellent episode, everybody. Just so yeah. you know. <laughs> Thank you. This was really good. You absolutely enjoyed it. And so you did. did. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Go TV deeply. See I'll see you next, you next week. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>